0: Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Tonight's scripture reading will come from 1 Corinthians 11, 17-22, through, 17 through 22, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better but for the worst. First of all, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that I hear that there are divisions among you, and I in part believe, believe it. For there must be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink? Or do you you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Please be seated.
1: Cindy and I enjoy history, American history, and so for that reason, through the years, we've been... To D.C., I don't know, three times or four, and we always enjoy it. And I wouldn't mind going back again now. I just love that. And one of the things that we've done is to go to Ford's Theater, and some of you, many of you, I guess, have been there, and to the Lincoln Memorial. And when you go, you can, you can see artifacts from, um, from Lincoln, about Lincoln. It was, it was an interesting time in our country. It was a time when the war was, was raging. It was a time when slavery was a major question and you had these factions. And when you go to one of those museums, I think it's that museum beneath the Lincoln Memorial, inscribed in the stone on one of the walls is the quote from Lincoln about the Union. And if I could if I can keep the Union and keep slavery, I would do it. If I could keep the Union... And free the slaves. I would do that if I could keep the union, and I could free some. I should free some and let some, and, and keep others. I would do that. I want to keep the union. But well, this isn't a political speech. I just want to say that it was a time when, when history was being made in this country, and so much of what is happening today really goes back to those days when Lincoln was president. But if you go across the street from Ford's Theater, you'll, you'll go to the lodgings of. A man, used to be the lodgings, of a man named Willie Clark. He was just handy. That's where he lived. And when Lincoln was shot, they carried him across the street there and laid him on Willie's bed. The pillow on which Lincoln's head rested when he expired has been kept. And, and when you go to the Ford Theater, you can look in a glass case and see the pillow and the the remaining stains of blood on that pillow. And each year, thousands of people file by, among whom have been Cindy and me, to see Lincoln's blood-stained pillow. Now, the reason why that's so valuable to the country, I mean, you you can't put a price on something like that. In, In view of the country, that is a priceless artifact. and, and it, Now, you know what? I don't, I don't suppose Lincoln's blood was a lot different from other people's blood. It's the fact that it belonged to him. It's, it's, it's the fact that he was assassinated while all of this was going on in the country, and it was his blood. And that's his blood on that pillow. It's Lincoln's blood. Now, I want to use that to launch this sermon because there are five things I want to cite tonight it has the blood of Jesus on it, five different things. Now, the first one is the covenant. The blood of Jesus is on his covenant. Now, another way to say covenant is New Testament. And so back, we, we touched on this some this morning, back to Matthew chapter 26 and 28. And Jesus is at the Passover with his disciples just before he heads out to the garden and onto the crucifixion. And he's, he's instituting the Lord's supper and he gives them the fruit of the vine and I want you to drink it. This is the blood of my new covenant, of my New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. I just want you to be impressed with the fact that that blood is on that covenant. That blood is on that New Testament, according to what Jesus said here. Now, The Mosaic Covenant had blood involved in it. And we, I don't want to replow that ground because we talked a good bit about that this morning. But Hebrews 10 and verse 4 says it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. So you have this, this blood that was preparatory for Christ, for the blood of Christ to always look forward to the cross. But it wasn't powerful enough to do the job. It's not possible. It's impossible. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, now this is the New Testament in my blood. Only the blood of Jesus could accomplish this. Now here's Hebrews 9, incidentally. It's it's probably, Hebrews 9 is probably the the chapter that cites the blood of Jesus more than any other chapter in the New Testament. I think there's a dozen in this one chapter. I'm in Hebrews 9 now, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, the blood then went back and cleansed their sins. But that doesn't mean that the blood of the cross was on that old covenant. It was not. This blood of the cross is on the new covenant, on the New Testament. The New Testament is our only hope. We cannot get that confused. And sometimes in religion today, you'll hear about practices that are derived from holding on to the old law. And that's a real shame, you know, because there's no blood on that. There's no blood of Christ on the old law. The the New Covenant, the New Testament, Jesus says, that's where the blood is. And so can you think of examples of this? I mean, where people, religionists today, even in Christendom, are relying on the Old Testament, the Old Covenant for their practices and their faith. You talk about Catholicism and you have this this priesthood system and, and the papacy and the hierarchy that they've got and a lot of the, 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 the costuming, the the clothing for these priests and all the others. And you say, well, where'd you get that? And many times you'll, you'll see a finger pointed back to the Old Testament. But excuse me, excuse me now, there's no blood on that one. There's no blood on that Old Testament. The blood's on the New Testament. Ellen G. White and some others started the Seventh-day Adventist church. And and what distinguishes them, now I'm sure there are a number of things, but what people commonly know about this religious organization is they keep the Sabbath day. Excuse me. That's, That's the Old Testament law. That's the other covenant. It's the covenant that doesn't have, any, it doesn't have any blood of Jesus on it. The blood of Jesus is on the new covenant. You think about the practice of using instrumental music in worship, and this isn't always true, but it's not uncommon when we say, now, in the Church of Christ, we don't use instrumental music. Well, why not? I mean, because I can find, I can find instrumental music in the Bible. You can find where David used it. We can find Old Testament examples where people use instrumental music. Well, <clears throat> I think that's very interesting. I've always thought that the people... In the first century, the Christians did not use instrumental music, but it wasn't because they were unfamiliar with the practice of instrumental music and in worship. They knew about David. They knew about Psalm 150. They knew about that, but they still didn't use it. Why? Why not? Well, because it wasn't part of that covenant. It wasn't something in the new covenant. You say, well, yeah, but it's in the Bible, so wouldn't that be all right for us to use it? And I would say, now, hold on a minute. Think, think. There's no blood on that covenant. There's no blood of Jesus on that. That pillow is pretty impressive. It's impressive because it has Abraham Lincoln's blood on it. The covenant, which is your New Testament, is impressive, more impressive, because it has blood on it, and it's the blood of the Savior. Now, here's number next. On on the church is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is on his church. <clears throat> so here's, here's Acts 20 and verse 28. And Paul says that Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, elders, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Now, there's something interesting here about that Greek word. You, you go to Strong's Lexicon, which I have done in preparation for this, and you have five very similar uh, definitions that are listed there, three of the five include this idea that he purchased the church for himself. Now, I don't know what you want to make out of that. I just think it's interesting that if you're part of the church, you could look at that and say, I'm part of something that he purchased for himself. So Ephesians 5 and 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And one more thing, Ephesians five twenty-three says, The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. And he's the savior of the body. Now, just hold on to that for a second. Where's the blood? It's on the church. It's on the body. That's what he says here. And that Jesus is the head of the body. You turn a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. And it says that the the church is his body. The church, which is his body. He's the head of the church. The blood is on the church. And I would add one more thing: that Jesus' blood didn't merely purchase a church, he purchased the church. It wouldn't do you any good then to try to change it. You go to the covenant that has the blood on it, you know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And and then I would argue that some people today really make a big deal out of how that they, they're close to Jesus, they consider themselves to be Christians, but they're not part of the church. I don't have to be part of any church to be, to be right with God. I'm right with Jesus because I've got him in my heart, but I'm not part of the church. Well, I, I would argue, first of all, that you don't need to be a part of a church. You need to be a part of the church because the church is where the blood is. That's where the Bible says the blood is. Number next. There's blood on our worship, on our Sunday worship. I'm thinking right now about the Lord's Supper. Prior to his death, again, Matthew chapter twenty six and verse twenty eight, and Jesus, when he was giving the fruit of the vine, teaching them how to eat the Lord's Supper, he said, This is this is my blood. It was symbolic, of course, but this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This is it. When we eat the Lord's Supper, I'm telling you, we are eating what Jesus symbolically described as his blood. Now, we understand that. and People abuse it sometimes today. Where I go and preach and uh, when I hold meetings and things, I'm, I'm trying to <clears throat> encourage churches <clears throat> to do what we do, not because we do it, but the way that we eat the Lord's Supper is just better. The way we eat the Lord's Supper in this church is better than what I see in a number of other churches, congregations. They're wonderful congregations, but when they eat the Lord's Supper, it, do you know that it's very common to eat the Lord's Supper as fast as we can? And, and now that, that I've gotten accustomed to how we do it here, which is to take two or two and a half minutes, I'm not sure exactly what the clock is, between the time that we eat the bread and we, we drink the, the fruit of the vine, we, we wait I don't know, two and a half minutes, and and then before we take up a collection, if you choose to take it up after the Lord's Supper, you ought to wait some time. Just let the church be quiet for these moments so that they can ponder the death and the the blood of Jesus. Now, how, I'm telling you that the blood is on the Lord's Supper. And you, you think of it that way in those terms and what we should do is really reverence what we're doing the very idea that I can be a part of the church and there's blood on that that I can be I can be a student of the covenant I can understand and practice the covenant that I have with my God through the New Testament and there's blood on that and then we get to eat the Lord's Supper and there's blood on that some people today are abusing that the blood of our Lord in reference to this because they, they eat the Lord's Supper in engagements that are just social. You know what we have authority to do? We have the authority, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, to eat the Lord's Supper with the Christians on the first day of the week. That's what we've got the authority to do. So, so we come together and we eat the Lord's Supper. But wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be a sweet thing if we had... A, we ate the Lord's Supper at our wedding on Friday night. Wouldn't that be a sweet thing? Well, so the fact is, that's not in the covenant. That's, that's not part of the covenant. And I would argue that you have a passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 11, where some of the Christians were doing something similar. They were eating the Lord's Supper as part of a common meal. And sometimes people are bringing that back today. And for the life of me, I can't understand why. It's abuse of the Lord's Supper is what it is. And then Paul, Paul points that out. And he says, in eating, each one of you takes his own. In fact, what was read a while ago was that a little earlier, Paul says, this is not, what you're doing is not to eat the Lord's Supper. I think they would have been shocked by that statement. Well, of course it is. That's what we're doing. We're eating the Lord's Supper. No, it's, no that's not what you're doing at all. In eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And sometimes today people are, are placing the Lord's Supper in social, on social occasions, that, like, like a wedding, for example, and it's an abuse. It's simply an abuse. Sometimes people today will simply neglect the Lord's Supper and the, the Lord's Day worship all together. I just want you to let that soak in. I got to work on my deck. I gotta, I gotta get caught up on some some yard work. I we're gonna be on vacation, nah, so we won't be probably worshiping anywhere on the Lord's Day because we'll be on the well on the beach, and so we we're not we won't be uh, worshiping. My my, it's um when you think of it in the context of the blood being on that Lord's Supper, the the blood of our Lord. And, and you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and, and he says that we can, we can do abuse to this if we don't discern the Lord's body and his blood that we eat and drink damnation to our own souls. That's very serious. And the reason that that's true is because this is the blood of our Lord. This represents the blood of Jesus Christ. Now here's number seven. I would want the world to know, and that's how I started this this morning, that the blood of Jesus can be under my shoes. This is, this is the most horrific, troubling concept, I guess, um, certainly, in this discussion that we're having tonight. Hebrews 10:26. "For if we sin willfully, uh, context, the context is that these are Hebrew Christians, these are Jewish Christians. And, and some of them are listening to the wrong teachers, and they're being encouraged that what they need to do is to wait. Uh, James Andrews had a great class on this recently. What they needed to do was to wait because the Messiah would come, not this Jesus, but, but the real Messiah. You need to wait on him to come. And so in the meantime, that's what you're going to do. Just be patient because he's going to come. And there, there are Christians who are abandoning their faith. Now, you bear in mind what Paul said in Galatians 5 and verse 4, which is if you go back to the old law, if you abandon this covenant to go back to the old law, remember the wording? You're fallen from grace. You lose. You fall from grace. You, you lose your salvation. In Hebrews chapter 10, 26, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, that's hell, which will devour devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you suppose he will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing? and insulted the spirit of grace. That Greek Greek term for unholy there is pretty interesting, and it just means what you think. It, It means profane. It means ordinary and profane. They treat the blood of the covenant whereby they were sanctified. That is, you became a Christian because of what you studied in the New Testament, and you did that because that's where the blood is. So if we walk away from that, in our lives and some people do that today the consequence of that is that you are treating the blood like it was ordinary and and in a a profane way and here's one more and that will round out our eight things i wish the world knew about the blood of jesus the blood of jesus is on all devoted christians I really like, I like this, uh, to say it this way, to emphasize that you didn't just access the blood of Jesus when you were baptized. 1 John 1 and 7 says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. Now, you know about walking, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Or Romans chapter 6, and it says when we were baptized, we came up out of the water, we, we were walking in newness of life. Everything was new because now we're in Christ. Now we're forgiven by his blood. But I want to emphasize the fact that what this teaches is is not just that initially when I was baptized I was cleansed by his blood, but that I continue to be cleansed. Now this is not this is not comforting to everybody. This isn't. I mean you take people who are not faithful Christians and they're they're members of the church, but they're lazy about the whole thing and they're not really plugged into all this and don't you be thinking that this, this is comforting to them, but for, for those of us who are, look at you, look at you. Here's Sunday night. What are you doing? Haven't you got anything else to do? Yeah, you got stuff to do. You're here to worship God Sunday night, and you're going to be back on Wednesday evening too, and we're going to listen to some more preaching of the Word of God. And It's because that's you've made up your mind. I'm going to be a Christian. True blue, through and through, I'm going to be a Christian. And I know I'm always not always going to get it right, but... I declare I want to be faithful to him. And what this says is that with that kind of a mindset, that kind of effort we put into it, if we walk in the light, that's what it means, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It cleanses us from all sin. Now, this is the present tense. That Greek word, cleanses, is the present tense. And what it means is a continuing action. I don't know of a concept in the New Testament that's more exciting than this one, is that you didn't just access the blood when you were baptized, that the blood is on, just to follow the way I've been wording these points, the blood is on Christians, devout Christians. And we live with that in the it's a praying life, it's a confessing life, it's a worshiping life, but I'm going to tell you something, it's a life where we live saved. Praise God for that. <clears throat> and what is it attributable to? The answer is the blood of Jesus. It is attributable to the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, you go to D.C. and you can walk through that museum, you could see the pillow on which Abraham Lincoln passed away. Mortal wound. And, and people marvel at that. You know that pillowcase has never been washed. Not a single time. Nobody's ever washed it. It was precious the day that it was found, discovered that that was his pillow. Nobody would wash it because that's his blood on there. And from an American standpoint, that is well, that is just very, very valuable. It doesn't hold a candle to this, of course. The blood of Jesus is on the covenant. That's your New Testament. It's on the church. It's on our worship. It's something that can be trampled beneath our feet. It could be on the soles of our shoes. <clears throat> I hope that's not true about anybody in this room. And it's something that's on faithful Christians. And I, I hope that if you're not a Christian that you will access his blood tonight. You can repent of your sins and confess him and be baptized. I do not know how any of us could get our own heart's permission to know about what I've been talking about today, the blood, that you have access to it because you've got lungs that are breathing. You're, you're aware, your mind is thinking, you're capable of accessing this blood for your sins. Put it on your own soul. Now would be such a great time to do that. Happens you not? That would be a wonderful time. We'll be so happy to baptize you into Christ. If you need the prayers of Christians, need to be restored, need the prayers for something else, we'll be so happy to do that. This song is to encourage you. If you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you
1: have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.